Hello everyone and welcome to the Highlander cast. I'm one of your usual hosts, Vance. Uh, joining me as usual this week is Sav. Hello everyone. And we've got an extra special guest this week, Isaac. Hey. Welcome, Isaac. Uh, Thank and you. this week uh, we're going to be talking about some more about the history of Highlander. So we've covered this in brief in the past, um, but we've got Isaac on because he was one of the people who was there very early on in the, uh, the life of the format. Um, and so we're going to go and just, you know, have some chats about what Highlander used to be like. Some classic Isaac stories. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there'll be so many. I'm looking I can forward hardly to wait. this. <laughs> So we actually um, have a what's what's the point segment for this one, and this one's going to be a little bit different, isn't it? We're going yeah, to this... we're going to throw it right over to Isaac Egan. We're going to say, tell us what was the point, or what may still be the point. We don't know. This is a surprise. So Isaac, take it away. What's the point? So I've chosen uh, the only card in my memory that was given a point before it was released. <laughs> so it's uh it's a planeswalker uh it's liliana vess no oh, longer a point liliana vess what a what a powerful magic card i assume yeah, for those you... that can't maybe remember what this card does it's black black and three to cast it's got five loyalty uh it starts with yeah five loyalty plus one is target player discards a card Minus two, search your library for a card, then shuffle your library and put that card on top of it, uh, i.e. Vampiric Tutor. And then minus eight, put all creature cards in all graveyards into play under your control. So did you look at this card on the spoiler and kind of go, Tutors are really good in Highlander. This is a five minus sorcery speed Vampiric Tutor. Ah, Let's just put a point on it. Yeah, pretty, like, it's, it's, (laughs) <laughs> it kind of shows how old I am because you've got to remember that this is literally the first time that Planeswalkers came out. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a situation where, yeah, it has an ability on it that says the same text as Vampiric Tutor, which was one of the, the more higher pointed cards at the time and still is today. Uh, but you've also got other abilities, so card advantage on it and a, a way to win the game. So. Uh, there was a lot of people that thought it was uh, broken, uh, so it was it was pre-pointed before it actually came out, and then was swiftly taken off the points list um, almost almost uh, straight away after after it was uh, tested, I guess, or played with. This was in the period where uh, Melbourne had their had a separate list to Canberra, um, and my memory is this actually stayed on for a little while. Um, this and Garrick Wildspeaker had a point. Garrick Wildspeaker. Um, <laughs> for, for a little while, yeah. Um, Look, I can't remember Garrick Wildspeaker. And, and to be honest, I can't actually even remember how long this thing was on the points list or what happened. Um, I do remember some flame wars over the internet. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There were some terrible cards on both lists um, from this period. So when the lists merged, there was a long fight about uh, whether the Moat and the Abyss should be points because Canberra had them. I think they were both at two or one of them might have been at one. I don't remember. Oh, wow. Um, and Isaac was just like, these cards aren't even that good. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's not all a one-way street of, uh, of you know, Melbourne being... Yeah, at that, time, at that time, there was a lot of contention between those uh, expensive enchantments. And in Melbourne, we had a lot of equipment on our list, uh, which Canberra didn't have any equipment cards on there. So Skullclamp and Umazawa's Jitto. And I think they still don't have any equipment on their list in their minds because I believe Canberra players <laughs> are famous for saying, well, Scott Clown doesn't really need to be a point, right? You know? 
Yeah, I think we had Jit at one and Skull Clamp at zero. Okay. Well, um, I bet from memory. It was I was Jitter was probably carving up in standard at the time, right? Like that was that was yeah. insane in standard. Oh, it was yeah. I mean <laughs> it still would be. Um it still definitely <laughs> would be. The the card I was gonna talk about, just going back to cards that sort of dominated their era and are now no longer any points, um, is recurring nightmare. Mm. So I'm I'm looking at a list a points list from April 1999. Uh, so uh, this must have been when Saga, around when Saga's released, or maybe when Masks released. And it's a 10-point list, and you've got a lot of the usual suspects on there at points that we don't quite recognise necessarily, but, you know, things like Channel and Ancestral and Mind Twister are all points, mm-hmm. Mox is a point, although they're only two points on a 10-point list, so the equivalent of, like, half a point <laughs> on the nice. seven-point list. But at four points, you've got Recurring Nightmare. So Recurring Nightmare is a black and two enchantment Mm -hmm. and you can return it to your hand and sacrifice a creature to put a creature from your graveyard into play there was a there was a deck in camera that was just tearing things up with that and survival of the fittest which is three points on this list so that's like five points between them on a seven point list roughly that was playing those and uh, there was a couple of variations the one that was the real problem was um in it was this was during the the free whaley era where great whale and palancon and cards of that ilk hadn't been errated to say they only did it if they came into play from your hand. Um, ah, right. And so people were just using them to generate enormous amounts of mana and card advantage and, I don't know, win somehow. Um, and everyone else's decks was were terrible, so they were crushing everyone. Free Whaley. It just sounds like one of those like meme references in the 90s, you know? 1999, <laughs> this is where... The old Great begin. Whale uh, era. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the old Great Whale era. Um, that most people are like, well, the card's just not even any good. <laughs> it's probably been unerratted and, and no one still notices. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. If, if you have all these one and a half point Moxon, then uh, uh, these decks no, no, will be able to play no, a not... bunch of one and a half point Moxon and then... Uh, have no synergy with their great whale. How how does it work? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and look, there, there's a lot of cards on there that we um, these days would say are you know kind of weird to be on there. Like a drop of honey was a point. Uh, oh. Gauntlet of might, jihad. There was some weird. There were some weird things back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah back in the Kildoran day... Kildoran Outpost. <laughs> nice. When when information doesn't travel as swiftly as it does now and uh, people don't grind and test as much as they do now, those things probably... Someone spiked a random tournament with Jihad in their deck and everyone went, whoa, this thing is busted. Puts yeah, a point yeah. on it. <laughs> I tell you what, it was an interesting situation to be in because I... So I grew up in Melbourne and I went to university in Canberra. So at that point in time, there was a five-point list in Canberra and a 10-point list in Melbourne. And it was really interesting for people in Canberra to talk about how the Melbourne list was wrong and for Melbourne people to talk about the Canberra list was wrong. And to go, for me, going in between the two lists and really taking advantage of, I guess, holes in in either one of those lists that I could identify. Yeah, Yeah, I I do remember, um, I didn't travel for them a lot, but... uh, JP and Tolly and Dan and people would occasionally travel down to Melbourne and we'd spend a bunch of time working out where there were points that we thought should be on cards that weren't and, you know, working out how to weasel your way around them. Because there were, I mean, there was a lot less players and there was a lot less information. So, you know, if, if you had someone like JP who's got a build of Storm, it might have a pile of free points on the Melbourne list because literally no one down there is playing the deck. So, yeah. mm. um, you know. And, yeah, it, and it, in this era... Um, 
the, the, some of the reason for points on those cards is the people running it at the time, their method of pointing things, which is not the one I would choose, but it's not invalid, is um, they'd look at the top eight of an event and they'd just try and add one point to every deck, basically. So that every time, or, or you know, one point to most of the decks, so that everyone would have to show up with new decks or at least think about their cards and so on for every event. Almost like yeah. a rotating standard type of thing, almost. Like force people was... to develop things differently. It was just like it was just an automatic thing that happened. Like I, I managed the Melbourne list for a period of time, and uh, I'll tell you that uh, after every Mox Highlander event I ran, the winning deck got a point added to it. Yeah, mm, which interesting was. <laughs> it was. I, I definitely remember there was a zoo deck that won once, and I just it it hurt me because I was like, <laughs> I have to add a point to this, but there's no card in there that's like this is good enough. Even, <laughs> <laughs> so I think, do, do I uh, point Kurt Ape? I think yeah. Jide was the card that got the point in the end, and it was being played in the sideboard. <laughs> that <deck. laughs> That's so good. Uh, the past is funny. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know after there was an event that I won, and I was playing uh, Secret Force, basically, um, which is kind of like elves these days, I guess. Um, Secret except Force. No one knows what Secret what, what is Secret Force? Is it, so, it's, so it's, kind of, it's kind of like elves. Well, yeah. <laughs> you're playing... Um, it's a natural order mono green deck where you're trying to... Uh, natural order out fatty. So I was playing natural order and um, I think it's Defense of the Heart is the one that goes on a creature when the creature dies, you get one. Um, and Verdant Force. So, you know, that, that was the, the secret is that you always got Verdant Force because at the time it was the best fatty in the game. Um, is it it's not quite as good as Crater Hoof. That's like a seven cost seven, seven that makes yeah. one ones or something at the beginning of each upkeep. Is that uh, a- it might cost eight, but yeah, it's something <laughs> like that. Okay, <laughs> even better. <laughs> yeah, that sounds yeah. <laughs> there, there was certainly no uh, ability to get like just fetch up Crater Hoof and you know kill your opponent immediately. Um, but yeah, I won an event with that, and uh, a point got added to Berserk uh, as a consequence. Um, <laughs> nice. I mean, I did. It was certainly, like, even though the creatures are much worse, you're still doing really... I don't know why Point didn't get added to Natural Order, really. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you're still doing really powerful things with these decks. Like, there was a game I remember from... I don't know if it was the event I won or another one where um, I Natural Ordered up a Verdant Force on turn one and cast Overrun and Berserk on turn two and killed my opponent. So okay. that was... <laughs> that sounds, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, look... Thanks for playing. (laughs) Um, They did not see that coming, that's for sure. So you guys have talked a little bit about, uh, you know, we're talking about five-point lists and ten-point lists, and you guys have talked a little bit about the, the, I guess, the formation of the seven-point list in the past. Um, Maybe maybe it would be a good idea for me to go through my side of, like, how that that eventually occurred. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love that. Uh, Okay, so I'm just going to go full Isaac story, and I'll tell you how I kind of got back into magic. Uh, oh, yeah. To, you know, I'm just going to take you right back. So uh, I started, like, so Stronghold was my first pro release. Uh, yeah. which That's is the same set I started in. Ah, yeah, yeah cool. So um, I, I was playing before then, but Stronghold was the first pro release that I actually played. And so I, I started collecting it around revised, I guess. I remember nice. buying Ice Age packs uh, and revised packs. Yeah, definitely being pretty excited about Crawlworm back in the day. Oh, uh, so busted. Yeah. Oh, just ridiculous. And then Scaled Worm came out. Oh, 7 and a 7, 6 or something. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I took a bunch of years off. So I didn't play I didn't play any of uh, Mirrodin block or any of Champions block. Uh, and then I uh, went from Melbourne to Canberra and was at university and staying on campus. And I was good friends with a couple of guys for like six months. 
Uh, so like six months into, you know, like living with each other, basically. And he, so this guy was uh, Luke Knott. I don't know if you, oh, yep. Vance probably knows Luke Knott. And uh, so he went out one time and he left me in his room and I was a little drunk uh, and decided that I was going to randomly clean his room. Um, which is not like, you know, your average <laughs> drunk person move, but maybe that gives you a bit of insight to me back when I was at college. Who would have uh, so, a teenager's room, right? I'm assuming yeah. you're a teenager here, but... <laughs> uh, I would have been 18, so yeah. Right, right. Um, <laughs> I think I'll clean so, this teenage boy's room. <laughs> not the best so he, idea. So he leaves, uh, and uh, I randomly think that it's a great idea to clean my mate's room because he'll, he'll love it. Turns out he came back and forgot that he left me in his room, and was super confused. He thought he had ghosts to the cleaner's room or something. Like, <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was it was a weird time. But whilst I was cleaning his room, I found a magic card. And I was like, oh, Magic the Gathering, I haven't played that in ages. And so I asked him, I was like, oh, do you play Magic the Gathering? And he was like, oh, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I do play Magic the Gathering. And I was like, I play Magic the Gathering. <laughs> and then... Uh, Did you so, hug? Yeah, like, yeah, big hug. That's, yeah, that's like, a great moment there. With, secretly, I've been wanting to tell you for so long. <laughs> <laughs> like we were like good mates, like hung out with each other like six days a week for like six months before we both found it, found out that each other played magic. And, and on uh, the seventh day, he was sneaking off to magic tournaments. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a heartwarming story. Uh, so yeah, I asked him about it, and um, yeah, uh, like his collection and stuff, and he said, yeah, I've got a couple of moxes. And I was like, hey, no, come on. You have moxes? And he's like, yeah, I got some moxes. And I'm like, how the hell did you get moxes? And he's like, I won them. And I was like, what? You won moxes? How did you win moxes? And he's like, well, I won it playing Highlander. And I was like, all right, what's this Highlander business? He told mm-hmm. me about it, and I was hooked. I was, I was done. Uh, I, I reckon for the next three weeks, I didn't like do any uni work. All I did was search on uh, different you know, gatherer and the internet for different nice. uh, cards to like, create my own Highlander deck. It was... What, was, what was your first deck? I need to know. What did you play? Yeah. So my first deck was a combo deck uh, around World Gorgia Dragon. So, That's way more sophisticated than I thought it would be. Not not you in general. I mean, just Highlander in an era where it's not too much, you know, exposure to, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. what we have now. People who will build their first deck will probably build like Green Stompy or like Mono Black Aggro or something like that. I was not expecting a, a sophisticated combo deck. So oh, that's a couple of yeah. years after the Stronghold pre-release, right? Yeah, yeah, a few years after the Stronghold pre-release. Yeah, okay, so. cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't play during that. So that was, um, wow, what was going on around there? I think it was it must original... Have been like Tormentor or something. Original Ravnica had just come out, I believe. Mm. Oh, okay, so, right, right, okay. Uh, so, yeah, and... Uh, I think it was um, Demir House, um, the 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 Demir House, Blue, Demir House, or Demir the, the Guild Mage, Demir Guild Mage. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, House Guild Mage or something like that. Demir yeah. Guild Mage. Yeah, Demir Guild Mage. Yeah. Yeah. Demir Demir Guild Mage. So uh, blue black uh, hybrid, blue black hybrid for a two two. Uh, blue and three target player draws a card. Black and three target player discards a card. Yeah. And so uh, that had just come out, and that was my innovation to the deck. So I took somebody else's deck, uh, which was Jason Scott. And uh, I made a bunch of changes to it, and that was one of them because it was a re- reanimate target, so you could bury it alive for Wilgoja Dragon and Demir Houseguard, and uh, then animate dead the Wilgoja Dragon, get infinite mana from that, and then animate dead the uh, Demir um, Guild, Guild Mage, and then make them draw a card, discard a card, infinite amount of times. Nice. After, yeah. So. That is um, so cool. I, you draw your own deck, so you have a couple of counter spells in your hand, and then you just yeah draw and discard, draw and discard them, 
Uh, so yeah. that was like my innovation to that deck and then changed a bunch of other cards. And uh, yeah, that was in the five point list in Canberra. And I had some success there, but I didn't really have success until I took that deck that I put a lot of effort into down to Melbourne in a 10 point list where at the time, World of the Dragon was two points in the five point list. And it was zero points on the 10 point list in Melbourne. Oh. Yeah. So I got to play Wilgoja Dragon, Demonic Tutor, Vampiric Tutor, um, uh, Tainted Pact, and uh, a whole host of other stuff that I just wasn't allowed to play in in Canberra. Nice. And so I took That's this filthy. list down to, to Melbourne, and uh, I definitely remember I sat down with the the Highlander Guru at the time, which was Chris Evans, and uh, I said, "Oh man, do you want, do you have Highlander? Like I'd, I'd love to play some Highlander games." And he said, yeah, I do, but I, I, my, my, my list isn't legal anymore because they nerfed it. And I was like, oh, tell me about this this list. So he had this artifact combo deck, and uh, he said that, you know, it's now it's, you know, like 14 points because they put a bunch <laughs> of points on it because it was doing too good with it. I'm like, yeah, sweet, let's, you know, let's play some games against that. And so, uh, you know, first game we played, I, I killed him on turn two, and he's like, oh, that's pretty good. Uh, then um, <laughs> game two... He comboed off and put 21 ones into play on turn two. And he's like, yeah, so can't beat that. And I'm like, oh, do they have haste? And he said, no, they don't have haste. I'm like, yeah, sweet, my turn. And then I killed him on my, <laughs> on my next turn. And he's like, what the hell is going on here? I'm like, yeah, it's a different list. Uh, I've been working on this deck for quite some time. And so, yeah, that was in the 10-point list. I didn't actually even get to play it in a tournament because the next tournament that we actually ran, uh, I actually ran the next tournament. So I was like... Yeah. Uh, can we please uh, yeah. have a can we please have a Mox Highlander uh, in Melbourne? Because uh, you know, at this point I was just I was all about winning a Mox, and I'm like a year in and I have not won a Mox, so I'm like <laughs> pretty keen on getting this off the ground. And at the time they ran vintage events, so vintage events for a Mox were the only Mox events, and they were getting about thirty players to a vintage event, which was pretty good for like uh, mm. a sanctioned vintage back then. Sure. Uh, so I was like, all right, well, how about I put up a Mox? And they said, okay, well, if you want to put up the mocks, then you can run this Mox Islander event. And so I was like, all right. So I went and bought, I bought my own mocks, uh, a Ruby, and decided to put on this Highlander event. But I couldn't in good conscience, like, use this list that I had already kind of broken at that point. <laughs> so uh, this is the, I guess, the formation of the first Isaac-based Melbourne points list, which was actually an amalgamation of the 10-point list in Melbourne and the five-point list from Canberra. So I merged those two lists and put together what I thought was uh, a more appropriate uh, points listing that really nerfed my own deck. That was the real theme of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Like sometimes that's what nice. you got to do. Um, you get people saying to us sometimes, oh, you know, you just want to put coin points on cards that are good against your deck. I'm like, no, half the time we're just like, Looking at our own decks and going, this thing's really powerful. I should put more points on it. Yeah. yeah. And like, uh, I want to play something different because <laughs> this is the correct <laughs> deck. You know, I want to play something different. Let's put a point on it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually something that's one of my biases that I have to be aware of that I inherently assume that the deck that I'm playing is better. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then often that turns out to just not be true at all. And, <laughs> and so I have to kind of check myself to make sure I'm not pointing my own stuff too much. Check yourself yeah, before you point hard. yourself. Well, check yeah. yourself before you wreck your deck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So then, um, so yeah, then I started running Mox Highlander events. We actually, so so the typical amount was about thirty players for a vintage event, and the first Highlander event got forty players. Uh, 
Oh, so, yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, from then on, it was pretty much uh, the next, uh, I'm going to say like six years or something, uh, six or seven years from that date. So I was about 20 at that point, 1920, when I ran my first Mox Highlander event, and then I ran them for the next six years. So, yeah, that's so cool. And, and just, just going back to that comment about um, the Highlander being big, bigger than the vintage, that's something we've found a lot. I mean, we've talked about on the show before is that uh, you need a lot, because of the nature of the points list, you need a lot less money to get started. And so even back in those days when moxes were a hell of a lot cheaper than they are now, um, it was much easier to get three people out of one person's collection along to an event because you could all just play their power. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you didn't want to spend $600 on a Black Lotus back then. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, $600. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Okay, so, I'm, I'm, so now I'm starting to run these 10-point uh, these lists in Melbourne, and I'm... I'm basically, I'm pointing it kind of on the fly. At one point, there was a little bit of talk about Brainstorm getting a point because of uh, the fact that it's played in so many decks, but that card's way too much fun, so we didn't point that one. But yeah, like I said earlier, there's uh, there's this system in place where it was just basically plus one point to any deck that won, uh, with a few exceptions. Sometimes it would be more than one point. Sometimes I, I, Basically, every single Highlander tournament I ran, there'd be a change to the points list in some way. Wow. How often were they? Uh, about every two and a half months. It's um, yeah, that's pretty frequent. What was the yeah. weirdest ever mandatory point you had to put on something because it won an event? Uh, so it was actually alluded to earlier uh, when when Vance mentioned the moxes. So uh, Luke Morkay won a mox event when he played land destruction and played all five moxes in his deck. So oh. ten points, <laughs> two points each on per mox. And after that event, uh, his deck got five points put on it because one point on each box was was added. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Canberra went through a similar sort of thing in this period. So this would have been the period where... So we'd moved on from Merlin Evans and um, Dave and those guys who were the initial points list and Glenn was doing them. He moved all the moxes up to two on. I think it was a five-point list at the time. Um, but left Sol Ring at one, which... Um, it's kind of a brave choice in my view. And uh, Anatoly Lightfoot, who you may remember from previous episodes of the show, um, I mean, you guys know him, obviously, but, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And Tristan Gall and Paul Batum, who were probably the three best players, Magic players in Canberra at the time, or certainly the three best who were very active, went to Glenn and said, look, can we curate this list for you? Um, and he's like, well, you can do it and show it to me, and if I like it, I'll... Um, and so they that's how they basically ended up controlling the Canberra list, um, in that period between... When did the lists merge, Isaac? Do you remember? Uh, look, I can't give you a date. I can tell you how it kind of came about. Um, it, they all kind of merge into one. So I'm running these 10-point lists in, in, in Melbourne for quite some time, and there's still... We used to do this pretty cool thing. So a couple of years in to me running these, uh, I actually started my own store, which was Metagames. So uh, it just happened to be that uh, Chris Evans, who was that guy that I sat down with and, and played that game of Highlander, uh, he had an inheritance that he had, uh, and he wasn't sure what to do with that money. And I was running these Mox Highlander tournaments, and they were pretty successful. And uh, it was just suggested that the two of us should start a store. And that's what we did. And I guess probably the main focus was actually eternal events at that store. So we did a lot of Highlander, a lot of Vintage and uh, a lot of drafting and degenerate uh, late night drafts, like 24-hour draft-a-thons every <laughs> Wednesday. 
Oh yeah. Uh, before streams, <laughs> before twenty-four hour streams or a thing, it's just twenty-four hour. Wait, no one's looking, but I'm still doing this. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. it was intense. I remember one time uh, Jeremy Neiman came from Canberra. He flew down from Canberra, uh, and his flight landed at about like nine thirty or something. And we picked him up from the airport, and we got back to my house. He stayed at my house at about uh, ten ten thirty or something like that. And I'm like, all right, so names, what do you want to do? And he's like, oh, I kind of want to do a draft. And he was just joking, but I was like, yeah, sure. I reckon we can do that. So I called a bunch of people and within half an hour we had uh, we had enough people for a draft and we all met at the store at 11 p.m. at night and and uh, did three or four drafts until about 5 a.m. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was just like a regular thing that happened. Uh, so I'm yeah, okay, So now I'm, I'm running these mocks events at uh, Metagames and I used to do this thing where I would uh, I would say anybody from Canberra, if you have a car of people coming down, then I'll give you 50 bucks cash for petrol. That was like any car that came down, 50 bucks cash for petrol. So there's a, a lot of rivalry, like Canberra people coming down. And Glenn used to do the same for uh, a Melbourne car going up. Used to get like yeah. one person to get free entry or something like that to just kind of help the uh, the car load of people organizing to go to the event. That's a great idea. Uh, it was it was pretty sweet, uh, and but we've still got this like this weird kind of uh, two different points list, and we were trying to like uh, I guess outdo each other and like uh, build different decks for different meta games and trying to get information, which was pretty scarce back then. So uh, at some point, it was suggested that maybe we should merge the two lists, and and that's when we started having discussion about a national points list, which culminated at look. I can tell you that I was at the Ainsley Football Club and I could tell you where I was sitting when we had the first discussion <laughs> of the yeah. points list, but I couldn't tell you when it was. Or... <laughs> so my memory is that in the years leading up to the merging, so there was always a Highlander run at Nationals by Dave Lowe, yeah. um, and he would just get the two lists and angrily mash them together. You know, a bunch of people were unhappy with this because the amalgamated list had some pretty weird choices that didn't make sense with, you know, the things that were on one and not on the other. And Dave said, look, I'm just going to keep doing this until someone gives me a combined list. Yeah. And yeah, and that was what led to you and Glenn and um, you, Glenn, Dan and Tolly were the first committee, I think. Yeah, yeah. So the first committee that formed the idea behind it was that we would have two store owners. So Glenn uh, and myself as the two store owners or managers and two, I guess, highly competitive players. So the concept was that the two store owners, their objective in the committee was to make Highlander as fun as and as inclusive as possible. So to have more people join the, uh, the Highlander fold. And then the competitive players were there to, I guess, make sure that the list was balanced, that it was fair, that cards were pointed appropriately and on power level and, and that metagames were formed uh, appropriately, I guess. So uh, the, the idea was to have these two different kind of sides uh, with everybody kind of coming together to make the list as good as possible. That's a really good idea. How, how did it go out in, uh, go in practice? It was pretty interesting because I can tell you that uh, Glenn and Tolly was, Glenn, Tolly, and to some extent Dan uh, were all pretty keen on five points being the correct amount of points. Uh, and I was pretty keen on 10 points being the correct amount of points. And, <laughs> and hence we end up with seven points. <laughs> that was uh, that was definitely a compromise. So this would have been, I think, just after Dan moved to Melbourne or just before? Yeah, um, so Dan had moved to Melbourne at some point. Uh, it's hard to kind of pinpoint exactly when that happened. Uh, but Dan had definitely been living in Melbourne for, for quite some time, for at least a year, I think. Um, but he was still from Canberra, if that makes sense. 
but yeah, I, I definitely was not going to budge. I was definitely not going to accept a five point list, and they were definitely that they weren't going to accept a ten point list. So, uh, <laughs> and then you, did you need to employ a mediator or maybe some a lawyer, just someone to uh, negotiate this contract? And <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Uh, I definitely tried for an eight-point list for a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "No, there's three of us, so it's going to be closer to our side of two seven point five. <laughs> well, I think it actually just came down to seven point, just sounded better than eight point for for some reason. So, look, it really it does. Aesthetic, it was an aesthetic <laughs> reason. Weirdly, one of the things that that uh, this is super weird. One of the one of the big arguments that Glenn put forward uh, for a five-point list compared to a ten-point list is that it looks better on a flyer. So a, a yep. printed off piece of paper flyer for advertising purposes, you know, 12, 13 years ago, uh, you know, like, cause that was like a, an actual form of advertising that was, <laughs> that was done. And yeah. so, yeah, that was one, one of the arguments as to why it should be a smaller list because it means it's a smaller physical flyer compared to a 10 point list. If you look in the Facebook group, there's those seven or eight ones that Saunders put up some old lists and those are all flyers that were physically printed out um, from black and white copies from whatever. Yeah, log- logical choices. Businesses. Oh, they're, they're all yeah, yeah, they're all done black and white. Um, I'm not sure OfficeWorks even existed yeah. when most of these were done. Whatever the equivalent <laughs> of like your local local Kinkos. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure 90% of these would have been printed using someone's student card at the ANU. Oh, nice. Because um, <laughs> a lot of them were run. So the initial events, uh, the initial Highlander events, were all run by the ANU Trading Card Society. So it was, you know, a university society, which gave us the benefit that we could use the rooms at the university for free. And yeah, it was run like that for uh, a good four or five years at least. Um, it was certainly run like that until Tolly was through uni because um, he was he was the one running it. And then after that, it kind of fell apart because there was no one left to do it. Students are useful. Oh, super useful. <laughs> <laughs> All the pr- please print out these flyers for us and... <laughs> <laughs> so what was on this flyer? Uh, well, I mean, uh, like it was just basically like the information of the, the event that was coming up and the points list. The, so, isn't, it, isn't it funny? Just like, this is how we disseminate information. Here's a tournament, but the rules are on the flyer. Like the rules yeah. are... <laughs> I'm looking at one now. Uh, it says Logical Choice, The Music Shop, Tradable Card Game Society, and Chook, because... Um, he was one of the people involved in running it, one of the people on the early points list. And the music shop was run by a couple of guys who played Magic, so they, I don't know, sponsored the event or something. Uh, present Highlander. The rules are simple. There can only be one of each card, excluding basic land, and the only restrictions are no anti- or unglued expansion cards. Uh, and then a maximum of 10 points of abusive cards can be incorporated within the final deck. And then there's a points list. Points. Yeah, this, this was a... Yeah, 10, ten. points. Did you, yeah, okay, that's interesting. I I I never actually heard of the uh, the Cambridge. Oh, yeah, um, I think I don't know if we started with a five point list, but we were certainly a ten point list for years. We were probably a ten point list when you were there, I think. Well, no, mm. we wouldn't have been by the time you were um, uh, yeah, but by, by the time you were playing World Gorgia, we would have been back to five. But um, yeah, we were ten points for quite some time. And um, then you realise that you spent too much uh, too much money on advertising on black and white printing, and you needed to reduce <laughs> the number of letters printed on the on the page. Uh, five points. Here we go. <laughs> the prizes are also kind of interesting from a you know modern perspective. So this event was first prize mock sapphire. Oh, entry ten dollars. Oh, ten bucks. First entry. prize nice. mock sapphire. <laughs> uh, 
second prize, uh, Sarv's favourite card, All Hallows' Eve. Oh, um, yes. All that all that text to say <laughs> something very straightforward. And by the way, straightforward is not straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was another one of these. I, I can't find it. Yeah. So first prize is uh, all 10 jewel lands. Okay. Second prize, Beta Mahamodi Jin. So, mm, which one would you go? <laughs> uh, like I mean, if you had to, if you depends on the condition of the Modi, your right? opponent, <laughs> and you're just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, do you want to split? And they're like, you know, I really, really want that gin, and you're like, no, oh, you're Ben, you're twisting my arm, mate. But like, <laughs> I'll go the jewels, I guess. I guess, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. Whereas now you often have events where there's less than ten jewels for the entire event. Oh yeah, um, little one for first, <laughs> and then they're more than ten, and they cost a lot more than ten bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cards changed in price. And just imagine the, uh, you know, the podcast episode one thousand three hundred ninety two, where um, Vance and I come in as guest episode in the guest episode, and we're we're going. I oh, remember the time when we used to run that event, and uh, there was a <laughs> there was a mox, and you could get a mox, and it was a sixty bucks entry, and as long as you had forty players, you'd be able to get a mox emerald. You know those, <laughs> those days, and everyone's like, "Wow!" Hey, speaking <laughs> you guys- of mox emeralds, I am super excited about this uh, Highlander tournament coming up in, in Adelaide. Uh, oh, yeah. It, oh, gonna yeah. Great. It's going to be an opportunity for Sounds. communities communities to mingle in South Australia because there's a lot of South Australian players who don't travel or haven't yet been encouraged to travel and probably meeting a whole bunch of faces from Canberra and from Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane and Perth even, you know, meeting those faces will encourage them to also travel to Nats and... Highlander at Nats and Nationals Highlander, whichever I don't know which one it is. The, the two. Well, there's the no <laughs> Nationals doesn't exist anymore, so we're kind of out of that hole. Because uh, sadly, in the various changes that Wizard have been making to um, uh, pro play, etc., or mythic play, um, one of the things that's changed is that the event Nationals has stopped existing again after its brief resurgence. Um, I think Glenn's trying to twist their arm into letting him run it anyway. With Hang on. So, are we talking about Highlander Nationals? Because that's the real Nationals in my head. So this is the well, yeah, that, that still exists. Um, <laughs> yeah. We just keep getting confused because we're like, oh, we're not. We don't mean Highlander Nationals. We mean the Nationals event that was at no the Highlander event that was at Nationals. See, I'm getting confused. Even just trying. To... <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Yeah. You, you're not making any sense. Nationals still exists, Vance. It's at CanCon every year. So, oh yeah. Look. Okay. True. So the real you know, Nationals you know, still exist. Okay, do you know the name of this podcast, Vance? Can I ask you that? <laughs> <laughs> Because it's, you know, it's, it's on theme. I don't know if you realise that. <laughs> ah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so what we can do is we can name that additional event the Highlander Mythic something or other because yeah. Mythic is now the word, right? <laughs> the Mythic Highlander yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw a good thing saying, oh, so, you know, if, uh, if that's now the Mythic Championships, then uh, GPs are rare championships, <laughs> PTQs are uncommon championships, and FNM is common championships. Oh, uh, nice, nice. And then ta- what's tabletop? That's like the free packs. Uh, basic that give land you championships, the beginner decks, <laughs> <laughs> or, or uh, you know, like token insert championships. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So yeah, that's uh, 
that's the, uh, I guess, my side of how Seven Point came to be. Once we actually did have the Seven Point National List, there was certainly a lot of rivalry between Melbourne and Canberra. But it actually, I mean, you keep saying that like it's in the past tense. Yeah, that, I think that still endures to today. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, yeah, no, that's totally true. But I think the the thing that happened at that point was that once we had an amalgamated list, we were we were working with the same list. We were trying to break the same list. So yeah. when somebody created something, it wasn't like. That's because it's, you know, it's a stupid points list. It was more like, oh, maybe I can, you know, maybe this is good. Mm. Or um, or often the other side where this is probably just bad. Uh, but it, <laughs> it, it, it meant that, like, um, traveling was actually a lot easier because you only had to test for one points list. You didn't yeah. have to test, you know, create a whole new deck for a different metagame that you haven't played before based on a points list that you hadn't worked with. Uh, even though that was actually pretty cool to try and break that, to try and prove something, it actually meant that it was a lot easier to get a carload of people to travel to an event because they could play their Highlander deck that they've already built and and then go to Canberra or come to Melbourne or you know play at Nationals back then when it was you know run by by Wizards. So yeah. it was just uh, it made things a lot easier and, and actually kind of formed uh, a, 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 I think a, a better community and a better um, play. Absolutely. Mm, I mean, sure. you, you didn't have these weird situations where you're like. I would like to own a Lotus, but only to play in Melbourne because they haven't pointed it highly enough. Um, but in Canberra, <laughs> the deck that I want to play Lotus in doesn't work because of all these other points, which was just dumb. Um, yeah, it was a bit silly. Speaking of Lotuses, do you want to hear about uh, the first time I ran a Lotus Highlander event? Oh, uh, of course. I definitely do. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's not much to say. I ran a Lotus Highlander event. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, so when when uh, I decided that metagames was closing, so I wanted to get out of metagames and I wanted to go back to university and finish my degree and whatnot, I, you know, one of the things on the bucket list was I never ran a Lotus Highlander event. So the last Highlander event that I ran at metagames whilst I had the store was a Lotus Highlander event. So first place was a Lotus and I believe second place was a Mox, but I, I'm not sure on that one. Um, I believe the winner nice. of that Lotus was JP, wasn't it? Yeah, JP Kelly. Yeah. yeah. Was he using Lotus in like a oh, storm yeah, deck storm. in order to win the Lotus? <laughs> yeah. so Absolutely. Cool. I love it. I'm Absolutely. pretty sure he used a beta Lotus to win an unlimited Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think at the time he was still playing his UL Lotus and he used the Lotus he won to upgrade. Ah, I, cool. I, I believe that was his upgrade path, although I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because um, even back then, beta lotuses were worth a stonkingly stupid amount of money. Um, it's always it's always proportional, right? You're just like, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's you right. Know, if only I had um, five cents to get two apricot delights, you know, from you know these kind of things you look back at. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, interestingly, the very first Highlander ever run. So this is before the points list existed. This is the event that we've talked about before where they ran it and at the end they're like, this would be nice if you couldn't just play all the power. Um, that was also a Lotus Highlander. So those are the only two Lotus Highlanders that I'm aware of ever being run. Um, and yeah, that Lotus was one that had previously been owned by a guy called James Pettifer. And he had obtained it by, he and his friends had opened a starter of Unlimited each. And this was all the cards they knew existed in the world, basically. And one guy had opened a Demonic Hordes and a Black Lotus. And he's like, well, this isn't very good. It only pays for my Demonic Hordes once. Uh, and so he <laughs> traded it for three swamps. Mm, classic story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he should have traded um, it for three mountains and then cast three lightning bolts, you know? like. Oh, yeah, look, um, there's, there's lots of uh, regrets for that decision, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, 
when these are all the cards you know exist in the world and you've got no idea what the rarity of things are, sounds sensible. Yeah. 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 We actually, uh, when Metagamers was around, we had a, there was a while where we had a weekly, uh, so every Sunday we had a Highlander tournament with first place was a Mana Drain for, oh, cool. for a while. That was, um, that was pretty good. There was actually uh, Neil Crompton uh, won three Mana Drains in a row playing Mono Red Burn. And <laughs> nice. And so then probably changed his deck and started playing blue or no. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. He's got a good role. It's working, yeah. <laughs> well and I change. So he comes in on the fourth week after winning three in a row with mono red, and we've got this big whiteboard and it says sale, circle protection, red, um, uh... <laughs> ten cents. <laughs> and he, he has a bit of a chuckle. He's like, Okay, yeah, cool, cool guys. And yeah, we all have a bit of a laugh. He's like, How many do you have? And I'm like, oh, I've got like 25 of them. And he's like, I'll buy all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That's, that's, you know, you got to play to your outs. Yeah. Uh, good times. Oh, that is awesome. Uh, so we're... Un- we've, unrelated we've, to... Um, right, go on, Zav. Uh, I, was, I was just going to say, we've, we've had some great stories. One, one story that I know the audience is going to want to know about is the... The thing that's not actually topical now, but was very, very topical a while back in Melbourne, and it was the Kurgan. And obviously, mm-hmm. everyone's you know who who knows the Highlander uh, movie knows that the Kurgan is the bad guy. Uh, what what was that all about? Yeah, so great name for for that deck, the Kurgan. Uh, it was. Uh, let's see if I can remember this correctly. It was green, blue, black. So Saltai Control. It was a the I guess the popular control deck. It was created by Daniel Unwin. So uh, those that don't know Dan, he's old old school nowadays. So there's probably a lot of people that don't know, but he was pretty much the premier deck builder in Australia. So uh, yeah, he, he um you know like the those people that don't know Jeremy Neiman, he is one of the very few Australians to top out in the Pro Tour. Dan built his deck for that. Uh, all the pro tours that I've done well at, Dan built my decks for that. Uh, all of the constructed events that I did well at, Dan built my deck. Uh, and Dan built Kurgan. That was his Highlander deck of choice. So it was Ancestral Recall uh, was a, a big part of that. And Library of Alexandria. Uh, it was definitely one of the reasons why we see that Library is at two points on the seven-point list. And... Uh, you know, it, it dances between being unplayable at two points and completely broken at one point, even though I actually have seen it, it played at two points. But it was basically like a, it kind of answered all of the questions that the format had at that point in yeah. time. Yeah. And just, sorry, further on Dan's uh, deck building prowess, he also, period, like, he still periodically plays on Moto and so on. Um, and I know from time to time he's contacted people like uh, Martin User and sent them deck lists and there've been things that they have either played or seriously considered playing at the pro tour. So like, he's a really, really good deck builder. Oh yeah. Mm. He's, he's insane. Yeah. He's also, it's also unhealthy for him to in, get involved in deck building. Oh he'll, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he'll, he'll start and then he'll be like, okay, so uh, I played like six hours tonight and, and, and six hours yesterday after doing like a full day's work. And on the weekend, I only managed to get like 12 hours in of testing. And these are the different results. And these are the, you know, the things that I work <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, he, the last time, uh, which was actually only last year, 
got him got him back into uh, testing for the team RPDQ, yeah. and he definitely noticed his health declining, and he was no longer exercising, <laughs> oh, and no. eating healthy, and, <laughs> and all these things. He's like, what the hell is going on with my life? Oh, magic has done its magic thing, where uh, I just get completely... Deck building for science, uh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Look, he is, um, I mean, as are a lot of people, he's definitely one of those people who uh, has very good concentration, sometimes to his detriment. Yeah, um, yeah. And, the, and to my memory, from, from memory, the Kurgan ended up incurring a large number of points over the course of a period because it just became the solved deck. Uh, there yeah, were a lot, of, well, a lot mean, of things that were zero at the time and they became one as well. Yeah, so it, it did a bunch of things. You. So it had a lot of power in it, but it was just incredibly fine-tuned mm. for each metagame because Dan was working on it profusely at every point. So even when we put a point on it, he would change the deck and it would be great still. Uh, but you're also, you know, this is a situation where I'm playing it, Dan's playing it, um, a couple of the other, you know, basically like the, the top players go, okay, Dan, what's the best deck to play? Oh, Kurgan. All right, I'll play the Kurgan. So you got the best players playing mm. a deck that's incredibly tuned and so it kind of wrecked havoc on, on a lot of the metagame and then it became about trying to beat that deck, um, which was, was was quite difficult, but, but actually completely doable. Uh, one yeah. of the things that actually consistently started beating it was a Bant deck by Ben Stefano. This is in Melbourne, the Melbourne meta. Um, but that was the first iteration of Bant Pod, I guess. Um, mm. I think yeah. the Kurgan is definitely one of those decks, as Isaac sort of alluded to, like Kespile is these days, that yeah. it is obviously not a bad deck. Like, it's a good deck, but part of the reason for its continued success is a lot of people who are really good at playing it have spent a lot of time tuning it, and people who aren't playing it sometimes don't put in the effort to beating it, if you understand what I mean. So, like... Mm. It's something we've talked about a couple of times before that, you know, Highland is not as explored as some people would like to have us think at any given time. And so you get decks like Kespile and the Kurgan, which are really good, but as Isaac said, completely beatable. You've just got to, you know, work out how to do it. Yeah. I think one of the big things that um, I, I think uh, Kurgan actually went down in popularity was after Library got the, the additional point. Yeah. Uh, and around that time, some different red cards started to get printed that were a little bit better. And uh, the the control deck of choice kind of changed from being a Sultai variant, which is Kurgan, to being straight blue red with uh, moon effects, and then a couple of other different ones that kind of came in and floated around. Yeah, it's a good deck though. I enjoyed playing that. Yeah, like it was definitely it was definitely a bit of a uh, end boss. <laughs> the end boss, mm. the Kes Kespal, the Kurgan of today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Carl Air also started uh, doing really well with Zoo around that time as well. Yeah, I remember looking so. at deck lists uh, when I was starting to play Highlander, and I I look back and I keep seeing Zoo, and I keep seeing um, Carl Air's name constantly appearing, and I'm like, oh, wow, yeah. this deck is this must be the best deck, you know? But wait, it's the same person each time, so it was really hard to dissociate the person and the deck. Yeah, there yeah, were some other people yeah. who had success with um, the, the Melbourne Zoo lists, um, which were quite different to the Canberra Zoo lists. Mm, um, mm. But a lot of that was definitely that. I mean, again, Carl was incredibly good with that deck. Like, oh, Carl's a master. He, he also constantly innovated and you know was bringing new cyborg plans and, and, and new mana bases and stuff like that to, to Zoo. Uh, I think... 
yeah, actually, Kyle, Kyle pretty much doesn't play that much these days. He doesn't play. I haven't seen him play Highlander in ages. But he basically stopped playing Highlander when Zeus started to become worse. <laughs> like when he, when he yeah. couldn't work out a way to uh, to make the deck good, he kind of gave up on it. So, the Zoo yeah. Master. Yeah, every time I, I'd, I'd look at an event and I'd see, <clears throat> oh, okay, he's on Zoo now. No, wait, he's on Zoo Splash Black. I oh, know back on Zoo. No, it's Zoo Splash Blue. Uh, no, back on Zoo. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, for anyone who's, who's not familiar with those lists, um, his list, as compared to the lists of mine that I've posted in the show notes a couple of times and on the Facebook group, there was a lot. It was a lot more green, white, and splash red, um, with more pump spells and less burn spells. Um, so he was trying to be sort of resilient and go over the top of a medium-sized creature metagame, by and large. If you're playing against a combo deck, a burn spell is kind of like a creature with haste. Canberra's always had a lot of uh, varying qualities of combo deck in it. So the burn is just much better. Um, well, it's had a lot of combo decks and a lot of small creature decks and has historically had less mid-range, which is you know part of the reason for some of those choices. I mean, he had Lightning Helix in the board, which I still just can't justify, but he did very well with it. So he had obviously had some idea what he was doing. Ah, um, okay. So so let's, let's um, have a big closing question for, for Isaac. Uh, oh, I got like I got like twenty more stories to tell you guys. Oh, we'll we'll have you back. We'll this is, you back. It is inevitable that there's going to be a history of Highlander part two, feet uh, Isaac Egan. Uh, so this one you can probably elaborate on a lot more with a story. What is or was uh, your favourite time for playing Highlander other than right now? Because obviously right now is always the best time for playing Highlander. Whew. Uh. What cards That's... were good at the time? What decks were good? What what kind of archetypes did you just face constantly and you just really enjoyed that that experience? Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, one of my favourite times was when I managed to uh, get everybody on board uh, with... Uh, by, by everybody, I mean everybody on the committee on board with putting a point on Wasteland for the first time. Oh, he was so excited. Mm. So oh. excited. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, that, I think I, dramatically changes the the landscape of the format, doesn't it? Uh, it, it made a huge difference. It, it, yeah. it did. It um, it meant that uh, lots of things actually improved. Like we actually had to put a point on Caracas later, I believe, because Wasteland was no longer keeping it in check. Um, ah, right. I think that was my first committee meeting, or certainly it was the first physical committee meeting I was at. Um, we did that at CanCon one year after, or while the finals for the Highlander was happening. Was where we had that argument. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I I can't remember exactly, but I can I can picture me having that conversation and being very passionate about it. I can I can definitely picture that because I'm still passionate oh, yeah. about it to this day. <laughs> I can yeah, definitely was... see you know the the time before that where it's kind of like you, everyone has to be very very conservative with their mana bases. They also have few uh, a small selection of games where you just uh wastelanded out of the game and no matter what you did or what you drew or how things landed you just would lose because of a wasteland and so that change basically made highlander more interactive essentially yeah it, it made it more enjoyable for me because when i lost to wasteland which still happened um, probably the same percentage mm. of, of the time. But when I did continue to lose to Wasteland, I could kind of internally justify, like, ah, oh, they paid a point for it. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, yep. they, they... I remember the, the the meeting where we were sitting down um, in the back of that room that all the events happen. Because normally the committee tries to come to, if not consensus, then at least approach consensus. 
Like we don't we don't try and just have too many straight up and down votes. But also on occasion, which is what happened here, you have one member of the committee who's like, all right, I am a hundred percent sure this is the right call, uh, and the rest of us were like, yeah. I think there were two of us who were like, oh, I'm not convinced, and someone who was like, oh, I just think you're wrong. Um, but yeah, Isaac convinced us that even though the vote was kind of three one against him, that it was it was something that we <laughs> needed to at least try. Yeah, it was, um, it was I, I recall him saying, look, try it for three months, and if I'm wrong, then just change it back, and I'll never ask for it again. For, but I'm 100% sure I'm right. For reference, yeah. the, the uh, committee process is quite literally, in research, the Delphi method, so by which a group of experts reaches consensus. This is like yeah. a research concept. So uh, it, it's tried and true and it works. And sometimes you need a vocal minority to take control of a group in order to for people to see a possible way of seeing something and then entertain the idea and eventually reach consensus. Not to override, but to to um, lend expertise. Well, I, think it's, yeah. I think it's very healthy to have positions where you've got one member of the committee who is very, very strongly of a particular opinion um for the rest to like you don't want to have too many experiments where we just wildly change the point list all the time but having the occasional thing where like all right look we're not certain this is gonna work out the way that person x thinks it is like um, maybe liliana vest is not worth a point <laughs> yeah yeah maybe liliana shouldn't be a point um that yeah but, i can i can see how that would be a really you know changing moment there with wasteland suddenly uh the, the fewer feel-bads, more interactive games, uh, and people critically thinking about their mana base both in an, in a wasteland world and yeah. uh, with a wasteland in their deck. It was interesting that um, the big thing that changed is all the zoo decks, all the aggro decks continue to play a wasteland, but you didn't have every control deck playing mm. a wasteland, and you didn't have every mid-range deck playing a wasteland. So it, before that, that, that change, there was a, just a, a meta game where... Uh, everybody was playing Wasteland, except if you were dedicated combo. Um, and that was yeah. the same at that Nats. I remember that being one of your arguments that, like, we, we got the lists and you went through them and you're like, all right, uh, of the, you know, 70 people in the room, 10 of them are combo decks and they're not playing Wasteland. There are two other decks that aren't playing it and I think they're both wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, right yeah. now, when you look at Kespile and other control decks and you see they all run Field of Ruin... Because you're like, look, I lose to Creeping Tar Pit. I need a Field of Ruin in here. Sometimes my opponent's on a Blood Moon plan and I can also fetch my basic. Like, that, that is totally understandable that you've got a very fair land that is rather powerful that's able to deal with these things. Imagine if that was a Wasteland. Imagine if the best deck in the format, Kespal here, just randomly just Wastelanded you and you never saw a third land for the game and you just went, uh, uh I, guess I, I guess I guess we just don't have a game. Yeah. yeah, I think I think there was a, a, a game it was, was uh, probably pretty close to me being adamant that we needed to put a point on Wasteland where I uh, played around Wasteland by getting a basic on turn one and uh, it was like Island, like preordained or something and passed the turn and they strip-mined me and I was like, ah, okay, <laughs> you got me. So I played my non-basic land and played something else and then they untapped and Wasteland on me. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I couldn't handle it. I could not handle it. <laughs> yeah. All right. We should probably look at wrapping up, uh, unless we've got more. We want yeah, to... look. There's always cool. going to be more, but it's going to have to be in High... History of Highlander Part Two. Hey. Yeah. yeah absolutely. 
so this was the history of Highlander Part One, um, or possibly you know Isaac Stories Part One, depending on how you look at it. Um, <laughs> I'm Vance. You can find me on Twitter at Vance and Notions. Um, you can find the cast at at Highlander Cast. Um, Isaac, do you have a Twitter handle you want to? Oh, I do, but uh, I don't check it ever, so don't worry about it. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> um, you can catch me on Facebook is probably the, the most likely way that I respond, uh, and particularly at uh, Rob's MTG Auctions as well. You can also find the cast on Facebook at, uh, again, Facebook slash HighlanderCast. Um, there's also a main group for the Seven Point Highlander, if you, which you can just find by searching Facebook for Seven Point Highlander. People there are pretty welcoming. There's lots of decks discussed there a lot of the time. It's a you know, good place to hang out and find Highlander information. There's also a Discord, which will be in the show notes, and uh, a Patreon at patreon.com slash HighlanderCast. Um, you might be sensing a theme. So if you, <laughs> it's very if easy you, to find. If you want to come along and put in a few dollars, that'd be great. If you don't, that's also perfectly fine. And you've got this thing where, uh, where Patreon members are allowed to ask questions, yeah? So uh, is that, that's, that's true, yes, I, I believe, because I've certainly asked some questions. So if anyone wants to yeah. ask some specific questions for uh, Highlander... Yeah, if you want to ask Isaac's, specific questions... Isaac we'll... Stories Part 2, yeah. then, yeah. then <laughs> come, come be a Patreon and ask those questions, and I'm sure they'll get answered. The Patreons get those get those bonuses where we're like, we've got this coming up, by the way. And do you guys want to ask anything? And next time Isaac is on, I'm pretty sure we'll get this flood of questions. Tell us a story about this. Oh, there's going to be some questions alluding to some stories that some people know about that I don't uh, want to yeah. talk about. <laughs> Please publicize this this secret knowledge that only we know, this, this in-joke. Um, and, and patrons also sometimes get episodes early when I remember to post them on uh, when, when I'm, you know, actually organized, which is not all that often. But yeah, so you can go there. You can do that if you want to. Otherwise, uh, that's the... Oh, no, there is one more thing. Obligatory um, know... shout out to uh, Adelaide Eternal Weekend. Yeah, well, okay. Two more things. Um, <laughs> you, you can do that in a second. Uh, I don't know if people saw, but uh, Wizards announced this morning that there's going to be a modern... A, a non-standard legal modern legal product, booster product coming out in June... Um, they revealed two cards, one of which is basically Cabal Therapy as a creature and one of which is Sarah Planeswalker. Um, we're not going to go into the detail of those yet, here because we've you know we've already been going for about an hour. But you should go and check those out. I'm sure you can find them. Come and have a chat with us in the Facebook group about them. But that should be an exciting set because based on the power level of those cards, there could be a lot of Highlander playables in this set given that they don't have to go through the crucible of being too strong for standard. And the Adelaide Eternal Weekend, Sarv? Yeah, so this takes place on the... 6th of April and 7th of April. Uh, it is a fusion of both the Eternal Weekend that we've been wanting to hold in SA for some time now, and also an event that uh, Isaac Egan has been planning for Rob Lark's birthday, his 30th birthday, I believe. And yep. um, that's a mocks event. And we've smooshed them together. We've made it a full weekend of activity. So Highland, the Adelaide Eternal Highlander Cup is on the April 6th. That one has first place uh, Mox Emerald and also has the sweet, sweet Adelaide Eternal Trophy for 2019. And then on Sunday is the Adelaide Eternal Legacy Cup. And then across the weekend, we have flashback drafts for old sets. We have a, pour a pauper and a vintage event and then a variety of other things as well. So it's going to be pretty sweet. And also you get to uh, come on down, give uh, Vance, Isaac, myself all a high five and um, catch up with people. Uh, I can't guarantee I'll be there, but we'll see what happens. Uh, but anyway, that's our episode for this week. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming along, guys. Catch you next time. See ya. See ya.